0: This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church,
1: Missouri Synod.
0: Today on World Lutheran News Digest…
1: I am World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. On May the 4th, President Trump signed an executive order designed to protect religious liberty. Reaction was immediate, with the ACLU announcing that it would allow bigotry and discrimination. But criticisms also coming in from conservative religious organizations. Although the president pledged to protect religious freedoms that have come under attack from secular forces, the executive order itself was vague. What the order does and doesn't do, and what needs doing, is the topic of discussion I have with Family Research Council attorney Travis Weber.
2: And now, today's Fast
3: track. I'm Sarah Golseth with
2: news in brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. Alliance Defending Freedom attorneys have asked the U.S. Supreme Court to halt a California law that forces pro-life pregnancy care centers to provide free advertising for the abortion industry. ADF attorneys represent a pro-life pregnancy care center network and two pregnancy care centers in the petition they filed with the court Monday. A federal district judge declined to issue a preliminary injunction to halt the law while the lawsuit proceeds. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit later upheld that decision on appeal. The petition to the U.S. Supreme Court asks it to reverse the ruling and to affirm that forcing the centers to provide the free advertising contrary to their core mission is a violation of their constitutionally protected freedoms. The American Health Care Act, the Obama Repeal and Replace Bill that the House of Representatives passed by a 217 to 213 vote, will temporarily and significantly reduce, but not eliminate, federal funding for Planned Parenthood. The bill will prevent Planned Parenthood from receiving funding through mandatory federal funding streams, primarily Medicaid, for exactly one calendar year after the President signs it but it does not prevent Planned Parenthood from getting discretionary funding through the Title X family planning program. An organization of atheists from Wisconsin has filed a lawsuit challenging the president's religious liberty executive order, claiming his move to allow religious groups to preach politics from the pulpit is in breach of the constitution the freedom from religion foundation said recent comments by president trump were a clear attempt to roll back the provisions of the johnson amendment of 1954 law that prohibits all tax-exempt institutions from campaigning for political candidates people of faith in missouri won a victory in the cause for religious liberty due to a low-key strategy leading to passage of a bill everyone thought was solely about tort reform the measure, known as Senate Bill 43, restored the religious exemption to the Missouri Human Rights Act after its removal by the Missouri Supreme Court in a 2013 ruling. The Missouri House of Representatives approved State Bill 43 after more than six hours of contentious floor debate. The bill now heads to the desk of Governor Eric Greitens, where he will soon sign it into law.
1: World Liter News Digest will be back right after these messages.
2: There's a special place where rare books from times long ago come
0: alive in your imagination. A special place where you can rediscover values that transcend time itself. A special place of adventure, mystery, and drama that's both old and new at the same time. Lamplighter Theater.
2: Saturday mornings at 11 on KFUO Radio.
0: Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news. Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor William Whedon, LCMS Director of Worship Jesus said some hard things in John 6 And lots of his disciples turned away and stopped following him He asked the 12 if they wanted to go too Peter responded for them all Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life Words of eternal life Those are the words your Jesus has for you Join me for the next broadcast of Thy Strong Word 11 a.m. Central on Worldwide KFUO The Messenger of Good News
3: Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at six o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at chapel. Join us Sunday nights at six. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO radio.
2: This is World Lutheran News Digest. This is
1: Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Mr. Travis Weber, and he's with the Family Research Council. We'll be talking about President Trump's executive order on religious liberty. Uh, Mr. Weber, can you say a little bit about yourself and about the FRC?
3: Sure, yeah. I mean So, my role at FRC is director of the Center for Religious Liberty, where advocate and advance religious liberty domestically and internationally in law and policy. And we try to track and monitor um, religious liberty cases and uh, situations where religious liberty is being violated and draw attention to those and, and bring remedies to those situations. Uh, I could do that through um, uh, the public debate, the public conversation, but also tracking legislative and, and court developments, um, writing and speaking about the issue. So, That's a bit about what I do, in addition to our other issues work at FRC concerning life issues and uh, family.
1: On May the 4th, President Trump signed an executive order regarding religious liberty. This had been a subject of some speculation for quite some time. In fact, there was an early draft that had been leaked to the press. And it, of course, created a firestorm with the ACLU, calling it a license to be bigoted and to discriminate. It delighted uh, many on on the religious side. But then when the order was signed, it seems to have been not exactly what it had been billed to be. Since it has come out, the religious groups, while generally liking and saying, it's really not all that specific and all that much. There are some things that really weren't done right and that need to be done more. What is the the take here from the FRC's position on this?
3: Yeah, I mean, so we think this is a good first step towards... Protecting uh, religious liberty towards protecting what does need to be protected. It certainly is not the um, uh, the, the, the image, mirror image of of the other draft that people had talked about. Uh, but that's okay because what ultimately matters is that the various situations are addressed and the various religious liberty uh, needs are met, uh, regardless of whether those are all met specifically in the order or they're met. Uh, through follow-up action. And part of you know the, the order here is to direct follow-up action on the part of agencies and the Department of Justice, through which we hope and expect that ultimately everyone who needs to be protected will be protected. The groups who, who you know, some may feel that they, that should have been in the executive order, uh, some, you know, like us, are more concerned about making sure everyone is ultimately protected. Even where there's disagreement on how people want to see it addressed in the order or not we all agree on the religious liberty needs of today and who needs to be protected various individuals and entities who hold beliefs regarding marriage hold beliefs regarding life and abortion and uh, don't want to be forced to violate those beliefs uh, as they participate in the public life of the nation so everyone agrees that's who needs to be protected it's just a matter of the specific action it gets us there and we're looking forward now uh, now that this has been signed, to, um, uh, to making sure the follow-up action is taken to protect all these groups and people.
1: Well, I think the follow-up action is a combination of a number of things. The uh, executive branch can only do so much. For example, uh, we're talking about the Johnson Amendment, which is something that prohibits uh, nonprofits from uh, engaging in politics. However, the that is statutory and an executive order cannot negate a statute. That's something that will have to be addressed. So I think we're looking at a combination now of regulation which is a federal which is an executive branch issue, statutory issues which the congress is going to have to consider and then of course the judiciary ruling on certain laws and and, and issues that haven't come up. Is this a correct assumption on what needs to be done at this point?
3: Somewhat, I, I would I would just say that what I'm referring to by by when I call this a first step and then refer to follow-on action, I'm referring to Section Four specifically, where the order says the Attorney General should issue guidance interpreting religious liberty protections in federal law, and you know that guidance will be applied to the different agencies. So that's what I mean by follow-up. As you point out, the Johnson Amendment specific section, Section Two. Obviously, can't overrule statute uh, which currently governs uh, the 501c3 tax-exempt organizations, and it doesn't really. If you look at the language there, it basically clarifies that the IRS shall not uh, unduly impose and restrict the speech of certain tax-exempt organizations because it's you know the president still has to follow the law, still has to follow 501c3 uh, tax-exempt requirements. So. In that respect you're correct. Um but I wasn't, you know, referring to that before. But on on this topic, um this is you know, this is good, but obviously we're looking forward to, to more action to be taken with respect to the Johnson amendment specifically. We want we like to see the um the Free Speech Fairness Act passed, which is currently pending in Congress, and this would amend five oh one C three to to allow tax exempt organizations to engage in speech that's considered political as long as they don't spend money along with that speech. So it basically frees up their speech in the course of their normal activities. Uh, for instance, pastor giving a sermon, you can mention a candidate, but it doesn't allow churches and others to be turned into um, uh, PACs or allow them to become campaign finance hubs uh, to finance political campaigns. So. You know, we think that's good legislation because it basically allows free speech across the board more. And you know, not everyone's going to avail themselves. Pastors and and other nonprofits are going to approach the issue differently. But the point is, uh, they should be deciding what they're speaking, not the government. And so that would uh, basically be a, a more a real robust change to 501c3. Whereas the section two uh, of the executive order is only you know it's very limited because um, that's all you know the executive branch can do on on this.
1: I mean, there are some specific items, for example, uh, faith-based adoption agencies. We're running into trouble with that in the various states where they are not allowed anymore. For example, in the state of Illinois, Illinois says that uh, a, a faith-based agency or any agency that contracts with the state for adoption and foster care must be able to put their children into Families, say, for example, gay couples or couples that are not married, uh, which, of course, Catholic charities or the Lutheran Church certainly would not be willing to accept. And something like 20 percent of all adoption and uh, foster care throughout the country has been handled by faith-based organizations. Also, uh, protection for federal employees who express pro-marriage or uh, pro-life views, uh, recipients of federal grants and contracts. There's a whole series of things for which protection is desperately needed. And this really isn't touched in the executive order.
3: It's not, and this is, you know, this goes back to what I was saying before. Everyone agrees that those entities and people need protection. I mean, these are the cases that we've been monitoring for the past number of years now, um, and they're the ones who are front and center in terms of domestic religious liberty problems. And, you know, so they certainly need protection. This doesn't specifically lay out and list X, Y, and Z shall be protected, and here's how you're going to do it. Part of that is when you do that once once these you know they their, their uh, the situations and the protections and how they're going to be accomplished are laid out and explained there's there there's an effort that's been made on that that's kind of the end of the end of the line as opposed to letting the agencies decide who exactly needs to be protected and how with more detail with with more expertise using agency expertise and officials in in those agencies. We want to see – they can be protected that way, too. And, I mean, ultimately, we want to see everyone who needs protection get it. Uh, they're, not, they're not laid out here, obviously. We want to see them be protected. We think they're going to be protected. We just need to let the agencies follow on to this and, um, and uh, uh, explain uh, specifically the folks who are going to be protected.
1: Well, I'm reading an article in the uh, National Review written by Mr. David French, who's a senior writer there. And he said, the administration can right now begin a rulemaking process to change the the, uh, contraception mandate. Congress can right now begin a lawmaking process to repeal the Johnson Amendment. Congress can right now work to pass statutes that protect free speech and rights of conscience. And that's the real work of government. And as he concludes, anything else is fluff at best. Is the FRC and other organizations working now directly with members of Congress uh, doing any making proposals on what should be done?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's you know, what I was referring to before on the Johnson Amendment if, if, with re- regard to the Free Speech Fairness Act that's the legislation we're supporting. That's the legislation which corrects the problems with the Johnson Amendment, which unfairly restrict church and pastor and other uh, tax center organizations' speech. So, you know, this is currently moving through Congress, and we're doing everything we can to make sure that's passed, address the Johnson Amendment situation or the Johnson Amendment problems. With regard to other legislation, I mean, this is something we've been working on for years to make sure at the state and federal level, that people's religious liberty is protected with regard to their beliefs on marriage and other um, other issues. And so, I mean, that's something we're going to continue to do, and we need to continue to do, uh, even though this executive order has been signed.
1: One thing that is of a particular concern to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, is uh, we have uh, the Concordia University system. We run that, and we have ten separate campuses. Well, there, during the Obergefell ruling and the arguments there, the Solicitor General implied, in fact, I think he said directly, that the tax status of religious campuses might be under examination if they violate the rulings of the Obergefell. For example, one of the things that concerns us is uh, what would happen if a gay couple demanded, uh, demanded uh, to be uh, housed together in one of our campuses, or an unmarried heterosexual couple, which we would not allow, that would endanger our uh, our tax status. But we can't violate the very basic tenets of our beliefs.
3: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And that's, you know, that when they, during the oral arguments, that was perhaps one of the most alarming statements that was made. In terms of where we saw the government going, now, you know, with the new administration, now I'm not sure there's as much to fear in terms of the hostility and the preparation of the of the agencies uh, to to take such action. But nevertheless, it's a threat, and um, we want to see a permanent fix in law for such institutions to to assure them that they have the legal protection for being forced to violate their beliefs um, through the actions that you mentioned. So. This is certainly one of the main, um, uh, the main situations that we have been tracking and seeking to work to address in terms of uh, religious liberty domestically today, that being you know, universities who hold a religious beliefs in forming family and marriage. Um, no way should they be forced to
1: violate those. Well, that's certainly our belief. Unfortunately, a lot of outside agencies don't see it that way. Uh, just look at, uh, well, other cases that involve religious uh, that involve religious liberty. Uh, for example, the uh, Bernal Stutzman case, the uh, Washington floral arranger who has refused to make a special arrangement for a gay marriage. There are companies um, all over that are facing problems like that and are being taken to court and ruined. And these are people we think need statutory relief somehow
3: i, I would agree um you know if you, and a lot of the the wedding vendor cases now have been arising under um uh under state law these are you know situations like Baronell out of Washington, the clients from oregon uh, Jack Phillips from Colorado, and the state courts and administrative agencies have been ruling against them, so they've bring, been bringing claims. In federal court or in, in courts that have risen up through the state system, petitioning the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has not taken one of these cases yet, but when they do, it will be important that they rule to protect the the wedding vendor based on federal constitutional rights. Nevertheless, you know, as you point out, this illustrates the problem, and um, these individuals need to be protected with uh, with state um, uh, religious freedom protections for for them to make sure they're not forced to violate their rights and um uh, you know we need we need the same thing at the federal level too
1: so this is actually both a state and a federal problem not just one
3: it, it absolutely is um you know there 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 are problems at both levels of government and even local government we've seen uh you know religious liberty situations arise i mean the whole hb2 situation in north carolina was prompted by a charlotte ordinance that had no religious liberty exemptions and so you know, it really, the focus though is at the state and federal level.
1: And there was that case in, uh, I believe it was in, uh, was in Houston or in Austin, one of the uh, Texas, one of the major Texas uh, cities, where the mayor su- <laughs> ordered subpoenas on uh, on uh, sermons.
3: Yeah, th- this was something we were involved in several years ago, um, uh, as part of a a um, a, uh, a recall effort uh, or uh, an attempt to. The pastors got involved to to mobilize the electorate to um, to repeal a bad uh, ordinance that the mayor had really pushed. In essence, the short story is that um, uh, she her her office took action against them by subpoenaing some of their materials. Really overbroad and aggressive action taken against these pastors you know, who were just trying to participate in the public uh, action, public life of their city. This really provoked a backlash against the mayor. Ultimately, they backed down. But it was an example of uh, the modern secular state not understanding or respecting the duties and obligations of religious institutions and individuals. And so you know, I'm glad that there was mobilization and backlash against the mayor, but this is something that we need to constantly be on guard for.
1: Well, the Lutheran Church specifically is very pro-life, and we're a very pro-traditional family. Uh, is, there is a concern that when these are mentioned from the pulpit, as they are almost every Sunday, you know, when, when we define who and what we are, that this could be challenged?
3: Yeah, well, you know, and a lot of people will say, well, look, you're already allowed to talk about issues um, uh, from the pulpit um, under current law, you know, and, and what the Free Speech Fairness Act is doing is, you know, permitting pastors to mention candidates. It is true that legally, uh, there is a lot of speech, you know, that's already permitted. The problem is there's a lot of vagueness, both from the government side in terms of the IRS guidance that's put out from. You know, the the pastors and constituents and people out there who are confused as to what they can and can't say. There's no real clear line for them. And then the activist groups, like the Atheists' Freedom From Religion Foundation and other groups who will go around sending letters to pastors telling them they need to stop saying certain things. And these letters are not always objective statements of the law. So all of this creates a climate of confusion and a chilling effect on speech, much of which may be permitted, right? So part of the problem is even clearing that up. The other problem is, you know, we think pastors should have the freedom to mention a candidate who's good on their issues. Not all are going to take advantage of that, but that's okay. Those who wish to should be able to have that speech, that that free speech. Um, the Free Speech Fairness Act would correct all of these problems. And it's true that there there's just a lot of confusion, and uh, this is something where historically, you know, uh, pastors, religious institutions, churches. Spoke into the public debate. They spoke into the public square. Only, really, in modern times, since the Johnson Amendment was passed in 1954, have um, it, it has this notion emerged that somehow they're not supposed to be doing that. And and no one really often puts their finger on precisely why they're you know they think that. But um, it's really you know since 1954. Before that, there wasn't any law that um, that prohibited the types of things the Johnson Amendment purportedly prohibits. So. You know, we really think this is—it's—it's long—we're it's a long path to do to clear this up and restore free speech for pastors, churches, and other tax-exempt organizations.
1: Certainly, that existed for the majority of this country's history, as you pointed out. Until 1954, there were no restrictions.
3: Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, and people need to remember too that this, this—you know—this freedom goes for churches of all different theological and social. Theological uh, views, and they may have different social and political views. They all have, this, they all have, and deserve, and get the same freedom. Uh, this also, as far as the free speech fairness that goes, would permit other non-religious tax-exempt organizations to have this type of speech. So, this is not a partisan or political matter. It's just a matter of opening up that space for people to speak into it when they wish to. Uh, you know, so I think that's really something that everyone can benefit from.
1: I think one of the things we have to do is to let the voters know that they can have a voice in this and that they need to contact both their local political leaders as well as the federal political leaders and state how they feel on the situation. And I'm sure that there are some specific ordinances and some specific bills that should be supported or even opposed. Yes. And, you know,
3: this is something where um, this is something we're, we're, Constantly trying to engage people on. If you go to our website frc.org, uh, you can find different um, uh, lists and notifications to sign up for by email. And you know, once you're on those, we will alert uh, you know people to to various legislation that to action, to different action items that they can help with, because the engagement of the, of the voters and their elected officials, knowing they're out there, knowing they have a voice, is how we we really make our voice heard in the public square as Christians and how we influence um, uh, the public debate from a Christian worldview.
1: And perhaps maybe a cynical question. Will the politicians actually listen to the people?
3: They will, you know, as long as we make our voices heard. Um, and this is why it's so important to, to engage and remember that we're the ones, ultimately, who are governing this country.
1: Amen. Mr. Weber, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to explain this issue. It's a very touchy one and a very important one, and it's far from over. This uh, this fight is going to continue one way or the other.
3: It is, and I appreciate you having me on.
1: Well, thank you, sir, and God bless you and the wonderful work that the Family Research Council is doing. Thank you. World Luther News Digest will be back right after these messages.
3: Hi, I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekomsky from St. Paul's and Watens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Matt, 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 let go of me, man! No, no, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. No. Oh, 5 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO.
0: Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance, Sunday at 9.15 a.m. right here on KFUO Radio. Each week I have the privilege of producing a quarter hour of message, music, and prayer blended together to fit a special theme for that day. You'll hear messages of hope and complete confidence in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You'll hear choirs and instrumentals to support the message as well.
1: So I invite you to join me. That's Moments of Assurance Sunday morning at at 9.15 a.m. And again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime, streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen.
0: World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at KFUO.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at KFUO.org.